0: You know, I was a 15-year-old knucklehead one Saturday watching TV and I saw Greg LeMond and Bernardino trying to literally murder each other in the Alps. And, um, you know, I was living here in Arkansas where I'm sitting right now. i never, literally never seen a mountain before. And there they are in the snow-capped Alps. And I just, it was just like this moment of divine intervention.
1: The strategy of the new CEO of USA Cycling, Brendan Quirk, is founded upon putting racing and international racing results by Team USA back at the center of USA Cycling. So please get comfortable and enjoy our great chat with the CEO of USA Cycling, Mr. Brendan Quirk. Okay, well, today we have a special guest. I mean, we're talking top brass of USA Cycling, CEO Brendan Quirk. Welcome to Bobby and Jens.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. Glad to be here. I appreciate the invitation.
1: Yeah, you know, not every day do we get to have the CEO of USA Cycling on with the Tour de France going on. Um, We have seven American riders in the Tour de France this year. Uh, Can't remember the last time that we had seven. But it's, it's pretty exciting. I mean, between Nelson Paulus, Sepp Kuss, Joe Dombrowski, Quinn Simmons, Matteo Jorgensen, Kevin Barmeca, uh, Brendan McNulty. do I Did I forget? Was that seven? I mean, all these guys came from USA Cycling at one time or another. Um, we're, it seems like we're in a little bit of a gold rush here with these talented young men. But uh, tell us a little bit about the support that USA cycling gave them to get to the spot of being in the world's biggest bicycle race.
0: Yeah. You know what it, what it really boils down to is for talented American racers who cut their teeth racing in the U S Excel in the U S what they need to do is they need to get to Europe and they need to spend a lot of time in Europe. If you want to be a world-class cyclist, you're not going to do it by racing in the States. Um, what, USA Cycling uh, offers up-and-coming American road racers and mountain bike racers is the opportunity to live in Europe, to race in Europe, to do big, repeated racing blocks. You can go and get those adaptations you need to get from this level to that level so you could begin to win races in Europe, hopefully um, you know, make it on a, on a World Tour team, and hopefully make it like one of these seven guys into the Tour de France for a lot of American riders that the time that they, historically, the time they spend in Europe racing is in a Team USA jersey. They're racing for the US national team. Um, You know, there used to be what was called the Belgium house. Now we have a residential facility in Sitterd in the Netherlands. And these kids park it over there and they train and they race and they really live the life. Uh, It is the essential ingredient to turning Americans into world tour pros. And uh, USA Cycling, really, it's the most important thing we've done historically, is give U23 and junior kids the opportunity to spend a lot of time in Europe.
2: Is there any chance that one of these seven pros we just mentioned in the tour would, for a day or two, come by and train with the kids to give them some inspiration, to talk to them, to get them connected? They would go, oh, wow, look at that. Nielsen Paulus is gonna train with us for a day or two. Any chance that could happen to inspire the kids?
0: I love that idea. I don't know if, I don't know if that's happened, um, but God, I would love it. I mean, that would be, how cool would that be? Um, You know, I think inspiration, honestly, it's just, it's it's racing with those Belgian kids and racing with those Dutch kids who've been racing since they were five years old. That's probably all the inspiration they need. The idea of being able to race a U23 Tour of Flanders or U23 Paris-Roubaix. Um, you know, that I, I think that's plenty of inspiration, but good God, you know, to get a, someone like Sepp to come over and train, um, would be, would be phenomenal. So I'll, I'll bring that up. I'll credit you on that one. Jens.
1: Yenzi's got all the good ideas, you know, not just a yeah. pretty face, Yenzi. That's for sure. <laughs> but let's, let's back up a little bit as far as what is your original talent ID and athlete development strategy, even to consider these kids to go to Europe. I mean, we've got some some great continental teams like Lux, uh, Virginia's Blue Ridge uh, team 2024. And of course, the action Hagman's Bergman team, how do you yep. how do you identify talent for them to start at that junior cadet level, and then to work within the national team structure as well as their possible tr- trade team structure?
0: Yeah, well, you know it's interesting. Um, you know the story of USA Cycling over the last five or six years is probably the difference between an organization that was very proficient at doing that. You know, you go back ten years ago, and where we are right now, where I think we are back in a rebuilding phase after COVID. You know, the 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 there's a big change happened in this organization, and not and I would suggest not for the good. Starting back in 2016, if you go back to 2016 in the Rio Olympics, Yenzi, did you race in the Rio Olympics? You were done. Yeah, uh,
2: 2014 was my last season, so I missed that okay. uh, by okay. two years.
0: Okay. Well, 2016 was one of the most successful Olympic games that American cycling ever had. We had five medals. We had three fourth places. And your organization made the decision at that point, hey, we're going to make a bet. And what that bet is, is we're going to go all in on Tokyo, Tokyo 2020. If we invest in metal capable athletes going into Tokyo, um, we could have potentially the biggest metal hole that American cycling has ever had in the Olympic Games. And so you know, the question is, where does that money come from? Uh, well, the money where the money came from was from development. You know, it's just kind of like a. A publicly traded company is gonna optimize for you know, near-term quarterly results. Um, USA Cycling uh, reallocated its uh, athletic budget to really invest in our medal-capable athletes. And it's a, it's a reasonable bet to make. The challenge though is you had COVID, some other mitigating factors. We went from five, five medals in three fourth places in, in Rio to f- only three medals in Tokyo. We took a big step in the wrong direction the other cost though it was basically 4 years of investment and development that happened at a far lower rate that would have happened otherwise then the the compounding factor is covid you know the the so much of our revenue as an organization comes from our membership it comes from race days basically you know no racing for one year very diminished racing in 2021 and that that further gutted the the budget of the organization and again, what, so what does that mean? What that means is we had, to, we had to bring down that investment in elite athletics even more. We had to invest only in our best athletes, only in the events that um, had the most medals, um, and only in disciplines where historically we've had a lot of success. For example, Women's Team Pursuit, where we did get a medal in Tokyo. Um, but development funding at that point just vanished. Um, so if you're in 2021 and you're a 15 year old kid who's doing pretty well as a bike racer, USA Cycling is gonna be pretty disconnected to you, which is a tragedy because our goal ultimately, you know, what I, I, I care about more than anything else, LA 2028, I think is gonna be the biggest sporting phenomenon in the history of American sports, bigger than Super Bowls, bigger than anything. I think this is gonna be a sporting and media blockbuster. And I want American bike racers to have an absolutely fabulous Olympics. I wanna win 12 medals, 13 medals at that 2028 Olympics. If we're not developing kids right now, there's no way we're gonna get there. You know, our current, the, the, the seven guys that you just mentioned, yes, yeah, some of them will still be prime time in 2028, but some of them won't. And um, we, have, we have to constantly be developing be developing those athletes. And we're not doing it right now. And so the single most important thing we are doing as an organization, as we think about elite athletics, is turning back on these junior programs and these U23 programs, because you do need to, to touch a lot of kids. You need to have access to a lot of kids to begin to, to push them up the pyramid and find who your future champions are, you know, and, and some of the teams that you mentioned, you know, the Lux's, the um, you know, Axel's team, uh, you talk about Avolo, you talk about Hot Tubes, um, you know, on the mountain bike side, teams like Bear Development, these are the teams that are keeping development alive right now. And it's, you know, we, we need to hold up our weight as, a, as the national governing body of the sport, and we need to take the best kids on those teams and get them over to Europe to get them to cut their teeth and um, take things to the next level. It's easy to identify them, the kids who are really good. You just, um, you know, between race results, tra- training peaks now, it's it's relatively easy to figure out who the most promising ones are. What we lack right now is the programming and the funding to get them over there to give them the access to the sort of of, uh, competition that they need.
2: So I'm glad you uh, put that. uh, You just talked about it because that would have been one of my questions. A lot of potential medal candidates got to be 17 years old today, right? So you got to keep them interested, got to keep them motivated, got to keep them in the sport from now on for another six years until you have the Olympics in your home country. Um, What could be a strategy to keep them interested, to keep them also founded so that they will go, look, I, I, sorry, I can't earn a living. I need to go and work in a bike shop or whatever. Uh, would you need maybe more more media support that the media tells the people and potential sponsors, hey, this sport is great. These kids are great. This kids program is great. We need some funding. And then maybe one or two sponsors would pop up. Or what could be a strategy yeah. to get more money into the system?
0: Yeah. So as you look at that's a great question. So So USA Cycling basically, so so, Sarah, let's take a step back. We're a nonprofit um, and like any nonprofit, we have a mission. Our mission is twofold. Our mission is to grow the sport of bike racing in the U.S. on the grassroots level. And the other part of our mission is to have sustained international success by our national teams. So those are basically two missions and we're kind of two businesses in one. Our grassroots business is, um, you know, the funding for that or the revenue from that comes through our membership model, where people are members and they race and, and so on and so forth. So um, that, 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 that's, that's rev- that revenue stream. Now, as you look at the sports performance or the elite athletic side of the organization, there are three sources of revenue. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the, no, no sport in the Olympic movement gets any government money. The U.S. government provides no funding to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. The U.S. government provides no funding to USA Cycling or USA Track and Field or USA Swimming. Uh, it, it's basically we eat what we kill. And uh, that th- that we have three sources of funding for that. One is corporate sponsorship. Like you mentioned, Jens, we're historically very bad at that. We're not very good at going out and getting... Um, Big time sponsors. The last big sponsor I remember, Bobby, was probably when you were racing and you raced with Skittles on your jersey when you were on the national team back in the day. Um, But historically we are very, very bad, especially at non-cycling company sponsors. The second form of funding that we have for our Elite Athletics is we get a high performance grant from the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee every year to help us with our operational expenses. So in 2022, we will get, I think it's about $2.4 million from the USOPC. About $400,000 of that is what's called direct athlete support. That's cash that goes right into the pockets of our best athletes, our most medal-capable athletes. The remaining $2 million pays coaching salaries, pays for travel, pays for wind tunnel time, all that kind of stuff. Uh, So that's the USOPC grants, the second form of revenue. The third form of revenue is our foundation. It's donors who uh, love cycling, believe in these kids and they wanna provide us funding to create opportunities for those kids. The majority of our sports performance budget comes from donations, believe it or not. It's, and, and so my job as CEO, the most important thing I'm doing and the thing I spend the most of my time doing is going out and raising money. And that money goes to support the programming, the coaching and the opportunity for these kids. You know, we want kids to race in the Torla Avenue, we've gotta go out and raise the money to do that. We're really, like I said, at a rebuilding phase right now where this fundraising capability that we formerly had, we're, you know, we're kind of breathing new life into it. We're trying to create some momentum for it and um, do great work in, in raising funding. But it's the most important, it's the, raising money is the most important thing that 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 we're doing. And it's those charitable dollars. I mean, Bobby, we're like a, a, a PBS or an NPR, right? It's just, it's begging people for money. And thank God, there are a lot of generous people who love the sport and love these kids, and so they donate. And it's uh, uh, really grateful for them.
1: I mean, we definitely need um, more benefactors of the sport you know, to to help, help these kids out. But when I was growing up, we had a race calendar that meant something. There was multiple races every weekend. I mean, you could pick and choose. It's not like that anymore. What 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 happened to all these races? Tour of Georgia, Tour of California, Tour of Utah, Tour of Colorado, Cascade Classic, Washington Trust Bank Classic, uh, you know, Tour de Tour de, Tour de Pont, you know, all uh, West Virginia. There was so Tour of Texas. Like, what did we do wrong that those races are gone and now replaced with either a criterium or? A mass participation event. How can we get that race calendar back over here, so these kids have a platform to get ready to go to Europe, and then once they get to Europe, then they have your support to be there and 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 develop, hopefully onto a world tour team.
0: Yeah, I think you know it's it's hard to diagnose what happened. I mean, I think um, you know you could speculate there was the emergence of a lot of other alternative forms of non-cycling sport, you know, it's Spartan races and mud runs and and things like that captured people's interests so that they were distracted and so there was less demand for road racing. I mean, I think some of that is probably true. Um, I think that uh, some promoters quit promoting races, especially the big races, the Utahs and the Californias and such, because it's just overwhelming expense of putting on a race at that level and the community support they needed, those communities just um, no longer saw the value in it. Um, and I think that the final part of it is there is a very healthy cycling ecosystem right now. But the phase we're in at the moment is gravel is king, uh, and so a lot of these communities that are very you know they, they want to be they want to have a cycling event in their in their town, you know one big event that year. A lot of them are choosing to do gravel, and that's where there's a lot of demand. Um, I think that I, I think the direction, and I, I would say probably the, that could be the single biggest crisis we face in the U.S is the lack of road racing. Um, that, that creates a path to discovery and, and a little bit of, of um, movement of talent. You know, they're, they're winning some of these races that you're talking about. Um, you know, we, we lack in those road races. That, that um, the, I would say the biggest challenge for that right now is if you do have a development team, if you are a Lux or you are a Hot Tubes or you are an Avolo, and you know, your budget was already strained just to be able to have a domestic road racing calendar, those organizations are now having to send their kids over to Europe to be able to race at all. You know, a team like Avolo historically, I don't believe, was spending just tons and tons of time in Europe. Hot Tubes was not spending tons and tons of time in Europe. Now those kids, uh, these teams are going over there and spending a lot of time over there uh, because that's the only way that they're going to be able to, to develop as athletes. And that's that that puts so much financial pressure on these development teams. It's it's a real shame. The the you know I do feel though. That we are taking baby steps forward to bringing road racing back in the U.S. Um, What we're seeing in Baltimore at Labor Day this weekend—it's the first new World Tour road race in the U.S. since God knows when. I don't even know, you know, since Tour California's demise, I would imagine. uh, You see a a kind of a coherent, well-produced, nationwide—you know—ten-race criterium series, the American Criterium Cup in the U.S. And I know Crits are not the answer if you wanna develop world-class road racers. But at least what you're doing is you're engaging with communities, you're getting kids in front of bike racing, and you are giving them the seeds of inspiration to go out and begin racing themselves. So I think there are promising steps forward. You know, you hear rumors of a quasi tour of California possibly coming back in 2024. I do think in 2023, we got very, very close to having tour of Utah, having to having it had come back. So I think people are definitely trying. We just hit the low water mark in 2020 and 2021. I think the signs are there that it's going to turn around. And I think when you combine that, with how many people are discovering serious cycling for the first time through gravel? If we, as an organization, can build pathways from gravel into road, I, I tend to think you know, a couple of years down the road, this road ecosystem is really going to begin to get some momentum again, and um, you, you know, we'll see a pretty a pretty meaningful comeback. We're just a, the last few years has been a tough spot, but but signs are definitely promising, and I will tell you, the other thing's encouraging is that. Um, What we have seen in 2022, our membership is significantly up over 2019. The number of race days that have happened, that is one member who is racing their bike for one day. The number of race days for the first half of 2022 is nicely ahead of 2019. So there's definitely some momentum there. It's just this stuff doesn't turn around overnight, which is a bummer.
2: I got a crazy crazy idea that just crossed my mind. The uh, hosting nation, or city of each Olympics. I believe they have two or four wildcards for sport you wanna put into the Olympics for testing. Why don't you choose gravel racing? Put lacrosse in for example. I mean that's not cycling but put lacrosse in for example. Um, And so hey we want to have a gravel race as an Olympic uh, test period. Um, Would there be any chance of that? or adding a crit racing. Say, hey, no, we want to try crit racing for Olympics. Why does it have to be always? Uh, it's,
0: well, it's an interesting conversation. It's like, if you could add one discipline, the way the Olympics thinks about things, and you guys are both Olympians, so you know this, but from like an administrative standpoint, there are sports, you know, cycling is a sport, track and field is a sport, but then there are disciplines within the sport, right? Road racing, time trial, uh, BMX race, etc. If you guys could choose any cycling discipline to add to the Olympic games, that's not in it right now. What would it be? The kilo for me. I
2: love the simplicity. The it's easy, and also for the for the, for the national teams, it's it's relatively easy to plan it because it's just power and watts and numbers. A road race, you can have a puncture, a whatever, a heat stroke, running out of water. That's not as not too, not so easy to plan. But the kilo is just raw power, one minute, all done. I love the beauty of it.
1: What about you, Bobby? For me, I'd have to go individual pursuit. That, that to me is, it's such a shame that that's not in the Olympic calendar. I mean, that's, that's that's cycling, man. I mean, what is it, 3K, 4K, or 5K, as fast as you can go. You know, the, your competitors start on the other side of the track. You know, you got the double disc wheels, you got the fancy skin suit, you got the crowd going. I, I would love to see that one back. All right,
0: so, the, so so right now, the LA 2028 um, organizing committee in conjunction with the IOC is going through the, the process of evaluating what disciplines, So the sport program is set. We know all of the sports for LA 2028, but what is not set in stone is what the discipline program is. And so basically the discipline program, there are three things that the IOC is really focused on. They, uh, I think they wanna be very good partners to the communities in which the Olympics take place. And so they wanna keep venue cost to a minimum. So if your venue is very, very expensive and it'll need to be built for the Olympics, that's, that's, that's something that everybody's trying to avoid. So that's one factor. Another factor when they contemplate disciplines is uh, naturally television ratings, right? This is a media spectacle. So is this event good for TV? And then the third thing is um, it really has to do with how many athletes are involved. Believe it or not, they're trying to reduce the overall number of athletes in the Olympic Games because more athletes is just more expense. And so they are trying to triangulate these things and use that to say, okay, what disciplines are we going to bring in? What disciplines are we going to take out? And it, it's, it's funny, just sort of like hanging out, having a beer kind of conversations about what disciplines would you add. I mean, ones that I would love that I think, again, you think about it. Do you have to add additional athletes? What's the venue cost and how good is it on TV? I think short track mountain biking, actually short track mountain biking is insanely exciting. I don't know if you guys watch it on Red Bull TV during World Cup race weekends, but it is it's a 20 minute race. And um, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a track race. In terms of excitement level, they're going full gas so hard. So I think that's one interesting option. Um, What's also interesting is I love how the UCI right now is emphasizing it's it's maybe it's time trials are boring. Sorry, Bobby, but they they are a little boring. But they um, the mixed time trial relay is something that the UCI is putting a lot of attention towards. You know that is a a a medal event in um, in Australia this year. Um, so I'm, I'm not advocating that, but it's just in terms of thinking outside the box, bringing men and women together in the same event in cycling. I mean, that would be kind of cool. Uh, and then, you know, who knows? I mean, could could e-racing and, I, and I'm I, I, you know, I get on Zwift when I have to. I don't love it. But could that be an Olympic sport? I don't know. But I think when we think about the future of the sport and how do we attract new demographics and how do we become relevant to a very different population? Um You know, I think maybe thinking outside of kind of the way that we've normally thought about cycling is a healthy thing to do.
2: If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine. Exclusive membership content from bellinews.com. Access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus, and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. You'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now, back to our chat with Brendan. Road racing has difficulties to start re again. It's a long race, right? And um, I mean, my kids love me, they love my sport, but my own children would go, dead. I would be stupid to watch your race for five hours. Yeah. Daddy, I want your race. I want the start, the highlights, the crashes and the final in a five minute clip, yeah. all with music. Yeah. So maybe road racing as a concept is dead. And you got to focus on a younger and more crazy sport like BMX or when they like jump across and do flip-flops on their BMX bikes, BMX racing, mountain biking. Maybe it's for a younger kids, shorter events. Maybe that's the future and road cycling is like a dinosaur. Did you ever, it just crossed my mind. Is that a chance or is that a possibility?
0: I don't think so because I think it is, it's still to this day, the biggest, it's, it's the sport that gets the most participation globally. Uh, you know you look at what happened in denmark this weekend i mean it's insane people absolutely love road racing and yes it can be you know perhaps a little boring from time to time but it is it is an iconic sport and i don't um and i think people will, you know i'm 51 years old and i'm out there feeling good on the bike and i'm daydreaming about being in the tour de france right i mean it's just it is there's something so special about road racing uh thankfully i don't i don't think it's at risk but i i i think a lot of other disciplines in cycling could potentially be at risk. And so just like any business, you have to think about, you know, what does, what does the market want? And I think that I will, I will um, give the UCI a lot of credit. They are being very, very um, thoughtful about what the kind of a future discipline program might look like for cycling. And they're thinking about it in a progressive way. So I, I give them full props for that.
1: Well, you said so many very interesting, uh, new, uh, inventive sort of ideas there. So I got to maybe step back a little bit and have you explain to myself and our listeners your path to be becoming the CEO of, of USA Cycling. Like, you obviously have a passion for this sport. You're looking at new ways to change it. But what what
0: got you here? So I am I am of that Greg LeMond generation. You know, I was a fifteen year old knucklehead one Saturday watching TV, and I saw Greg LeMond and Bernardino trying to literally murder each other in the Alps. And um, you know, I was living here in Arkansas where I am sitting right now. I've never, literally, never seen a mountain before, and there they are in the snow capped Alps. And I just it was just like this moment of divine intervention. And I am like, oh my God, my life is meant to revolve around what I'm watching on TV right now. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, and I started racing bikes in 1986 um, as, a, as a, 15, a 15 year old kid. In fact, Bobby, I, I know this is not on video, but I brought a couple of photos. These are this is from the 1988 junior 17-18 National Road Race Championship where you and I raced together. And here's another picture. Wow. Right here. I, I looked for you in there. I don't know if that's Brian Dykes right there, maybe in the Plymouth Reebok jersey. Um, I don't know. But then this is the best part. I have, I have a newspaper clipping here. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you. Uh, so this is from the race that we did together, Bobby. It said, Carney, Jonas Carney. Carney also won the road race, emerging from a tactical duel with his 7-Eleven teammate Bobby Julik and Reebok's Brian Dykes. The 93KM race had a one-mile climb with a 12% grade up Skyline Drive near Redding. And uh, second place on the podium for you. I was the first guy to drop out of that race because I had a mechanical on the first lap. Biggest disappointment of my career. Well,
1: it's normally my buddy George Hincapie that brings up that story. So thank you for reopening those wounds. <laughs> Let's just say it was not a tactical battle whatsoever. I got flicked by my own teammate. So
0: you got to tell the story. Okay. It's a good story. You got you to tell it. I can tell you. You know, I I'll, I'll have list. to
1: put that in a book one day. I'll, I'll have to put that in a book one day. But um, it taught me a big lesson at 16 years old is when it comes down to national championships, uh, don't trust anybody because this sport, there's only one person that gets to wear that jersey and it's for an entire year. And um, even if it's your teammate, you gotta make sure that, uh, that you, you leave nothing to chance, to put it that way. But um, <laughs> that's a nice little segue into the national championships. I mean, we've got, you know, we just got finished with the junior national championships. Um, have you been going to all these events? And um, if so, like, what is the, the vibe around the national championship events yeah. this year?
0: So I've been on a streak of races. I was at Tulsa Tough three weeks ago, which is, have you been to Tulsa before, Bobby? I have not. Oh my God. It's incredible. It's um, absolutely electric. It's three days of crit racing, two big grand fondos. You know, downtown Tulsa is beautiful. It's bonkers. So that was an absolute thrill. Then um, I went to the Harlem Skyscraper Crit, which is in the American uh, Criterium Cup. It's beautiful to be in Harlem, watching everybody race around Marcus Garvey Park on Juneteenth. Uh, it was an incredible scene. Uh, it was the most diverse cycling scene I've ever seen in my life. It was just uh, amazing racing, and um, a really good time. And then the week, the weekend after that, I was at the U.S. Pro Road Championships in Knoxville. And um, downtown Knoxville's fabulous. There was a great crowd. There's a brutal climb. So it's a circuit race. The, the women did 11 laps, the men did 17 laps. It was about an 11K um, loop. And um, I will tell you, it was absolutely full gas racing. Um, the men's race in particular was just savage. It was hot. Those guys were trying to kill each other. You had some serious riders there. Magnus Sheffield was there. Um, you had Luke Lampardy there. You had some really strong guys. Lawson Craddock was there, and it was um, just the, it was such an attacking kind of race. It was thrilling. So it was. I mean, it was fabulous. The crit was great. The road race was great, um, and the crowd really came out for it. I think the thing I, um, you know, if I could rub uh, the you know genie in the bottle and get my wish, I would love to see a little bit more consolidation of national championships, it would be so cool if the Junior Criterium National Championship took place at the same time as the US Pro. uh, Crit Championships, all those juniors could be out there and watch these guys race, it would blow their minds. And you talk about keeping motivated and seeing what the promised land looks like um, you know, to say, I want to grow up and be on Legion or I want to grow up and be on best buddies and be a criterium god. I mean, it was it's really hard racing, very inspiring, and um, it's a lot of fun. So, yes, I've been going to the racing and it's been really good.
2: Do you actually have a chance to go on a bike yourself? Like how often per week, yeah. per month do you actually have time yeah. and, and and like motivation to train? And by any chance. Do you still hold a license? Do you you race somewhere, somewhat?
0: So uh, the last time I raced with any kind of seriousness was the winter of 2019. I did kind of a a full cyclocross season. Um, The reason for that is I was on the organizing committee for the Cyclocross World Championships that were held in Fayetteville this January. So when we bid on that race, we went through that process in 2018. I'm like okay well if i'm going to be part of the organizing committee trying to bring a world championship to america i'm gonna i'm gonna race all year and see what the the cyclocross life is like and i had a blast that was really fun but no since then it's mostly been doing gravel um you know things things like that i haven't COVID, there was not much racing and then no i have not raced since 2019 although i'd like to but yeah i get out and ride you know four or five days a week it's my mental health my mental health uh, session. And uh, especially this time of year, you know, it's like the 5.30 a.m. Dawn Patrol, get out for 90 minutes, ride as hard as I can kind of thing. That's a that's that's my idea of a good time. But uh, who knows? I might get out there and shave my legs one more time in this life. You never know.
1: <laughs> I do not miss those days. My wife uh, calls me out on it quite often and I have to go in and just, you know, whack it with the old trimmer. Just to, she said that, uh, it was false advertising. And I said, what was? She goes, well, when I met you up until the day you retired, you had shaved legs. And now you don't. And I don't like it. So every <laughs> once in a while, I shave my legs. But more for, more for her than anything. Um, Brennan, another interesting um, thing I'm curious to ask you is what are some of the top micro trends that you see shaping the future of, of the sport? And is USA Cycling... You know the foundation board the board are they positioned to identify and define the agenda to lead usa cycling into the future yeah
0: well i think the biggest trend is bigger than a micro trend that we are getting very serious about which is I think the greatest untapped resource we have for talent for bike racing in the u.s is making meaningful inroads into diverse inner city communities to get these kids racing bikes. Um, I, I think, you know, what we don't have, you know, like the three of us all know, Every town in Belgium has a cycling club. They've got their, you know, their racing. They've got that ecosystem that makes it so easy to pull in loads of kids and make the sport super accessible. You know, that's the superpower of a country like Belgium. Um, They just pull everybody into the sport. I think the super, so if every country has its own superpower, I think what our superpower is, is the number of athletic kids that we have in this nation. Uh, The the problem is that most of them have never seen a racing bike. They've never thought about racing bikes. And so we need to reach out and connect to uh, African-American kids and Latino kids, particularly in major metro areas, New York, L.A., Miami. And we need to figure out how do we put bike racing in front of them and make them say, oh, my God, that's incredibly cool. So we are actually getting ready to launch a project in Los Angeles County um, to do exactly that. And um, it's specifically oriented around our track sprint program. So we are reinvesting in our track sprint program at USA Cycling. And uh, we've got, you know, uh, Aaron Hartwell, also known as Irv, two-time Olympic medalist. In fact, he won a silver medal in the kilo. You mentioned the kilo before, Jens. He won a silver in the kilo, I think, in Barcelona. Um, I could have that, that, those games wrong. Atlanta. Was Atlanta. Okay, thank you. Um, he, is our, he is our track coach. He's one of the two or three best track coaches in the world. He's coached Canada, coached China, coached Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and he's one of these guys. You can take someone who's never really raced a bike. And if this person has the right stuff and the right work ethic, um, Irv is his nickname. Irv can turn them into an Olympic caliber uh, sprint track athlete within three years. And so we hired him to say, look, we basically had no track sprint program rolling into Tokyo. We want to have one and we want it to be really, really good. And so we are investing in that one part of our investment into our track sprint program is to work in LA County to do what we're calling uh, open qualifiers. We're going to go to high schools. We're going to go to community colleges. We're going to go to boys and girls clubs. We're going to go there with watt bikes and we're going to go there with like plyometric stuff and we're gonna find kids who just have raw physiological talent. The kids who show that physiological talent and the interest, we're then gonna take them to an actual kind of a, a, a bigger kind of qualifying event, get them on bikes, and again, just see what is their raw capability look like. And for those kids who really shine in that environment, we are going to short circuit our whole talent ID process and push these kids into our development programs but these are kids who are, you know, these are going to be kids who can't afford to travel. They can't afford bikes. They can't, you know, these are not the typical bike racing kids who have lots of good options. These are going to be kids who if, if we're going to bring them into our program, we're going to take care of them on the bike, but we're also going to really hold them close when they're off the bike as well. We're going to make sure that they're going to make it to training. We're going to make sure that they've got their travel arrangements. Uh, set up so they can go to, you know, to, to whatever race it is that they might need to go to. But we want to take care of these kids holistically. And if we feel like we do a good job in LA County connecting there, we can begin to scale this program up and begin to, to really access and introduce the sport to these kids who've never had access to it before. And if we can figure that out, um, it's, it's a, you know, i, I I'm reluctant to use the, phrases like social justice because it means so many things to so many people, but it's just, it's morally the right thing to do. But also for us as a nation, it allows us to tap into a massive pool of talent that we've never had access before. And that we've never had access to before. And that gets me very, very excited. So I think diversity within bike racing is trend number one. And then trend number two, I do think we talked about it earlier, is that um, e-racing is here to stay. People might not like it, But um, that is I I just I have the feeling this is going to become a very significant part of bike racing. And, you know, when 20 years from now, will there be a stage of the Tour de France that's held on Zwift? Maybe. Uh, I certainly don't think the answer is no, but it's definitely maybe. And I think we all need to be prepared for that and say, what does it mean if e-racing becomes a, a phenomenon of that magnitude? And um, we're spending a lot of time thinking about that, but we are definitely believers in it and um, excited to see where it's going to to go. So those two, I would say those are the two areas of new terrain that we're looking towards, but man, we've got so much basic fundamental work that we should be doing that we're not, that we spend 99% of our time focused on that. It's focused on, you know, it's resurrecting our development programs for U23 and juniors. And it's, um, I think, just providing more, um, providing for our national team athletes in a a better way. Again, using this notion of both on the bike and off the bike, we need to do that. We've got, you know, a hundred some odd folks on the national team, and we just need to do more for them to ensure their success.
2: Now, um, to get more kids on bike, like let's take Germany as an example. I would say that almost 100% of German kids have a bike and they could go to school, but we got tons of bike lanes and bike passes. How is that whole bike lane infrastructure going in the U.S. Um, So to enable the kids to go to school on a safe way where there's no cars and maybe only very little traffic lights, but no cars. And second uh, part of the question, how much influence would you as U.S. cycling have to tell the people, no, 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 don't build a bike lane here, build it over here. Don't build it like this, build it like that. Anybody ask you, are you getting involved in bike lanes from you see, from residential areas to the schools or uh, things like that?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. So two part question. So we are very fortunate in the U.S. that the cycling industry has a trade association called People for Bikes. The CEO of People for Bikes is a woman named Jen Dice, who I would probably argue is not just the most impressive woman in the bike industry, probably the most impressive person in the bike industry. Um, she is way better than what our industry deserves in terms of her intelligence and her ability to get stuff done and her ability to lead. Um, you should have her on your podcast. Sometimes she's spectacular and she is doing more. So she's the CEO of people for bikes. And um, that organization exists. Basically, it does it does a lot of things, but I tend to think of it does two things. One, on the commercial side, it works with the U.S. government to, to keep tariffs down for bicycle imports because People for Bikes is funded by the bike industry, and so the bike industry naturally wants to see tariffs low. But the, the major part of its work, though, is working with communities to raise taxpayer dollars for active transportation infrastructure, for bike lanes, um, and uh, you know Greenways and things like this. They have done a number of studies that are absolutely conclusive. In the United States, the number one reason why we don't have greater usage of bikes for kids riding to school, people riding to work, riding to the store, etc., cetera, is because they feel unsafe in traffic. So um, People for Bikes works with local communities to develop the active transportation infrastructure they need so people can move around on bikes and feel safe. Now, this is a, we're in an amazing moment in the United States right now where with all of the COVID funding that has been approved by Congress, all of that funding is going to local municipal governments to invest in infrastructure. The, every city in America has a bike pedestrian master plan sitting in a filing cabinet that they love, the government loves it, their citizens love it, but the money has never been there to pay for it. Well, all of a sudden, and yet it's the reason why inflation is so bad, right? Is because there has just been, you know, money just dropping from heaven mm-hmm. uh, due to all the COVID stimulus uh, packages that have been passed. And so what you're going to see is a massive expansion of road infrastructure, but also bike and pedestrian infrastructure all throughout the U.S. This stuff, it takes a long time to build. These are like 10, 12-year projects. But I think what you're going to see 10 years from now is a far, far superior network of safe ways to get around communities on bikes than what we've ever had before. We will actually, I believe, across America look a lot more like Europe than we would have ever dared to think about before COVID. So it's it's amazing. And um, People for Bikes is really driving that work. And they are excellent at it. USA Cycling, we are also, People for Bikes is a nonprofit, USA Cycling is a nonprofit. Our work strictly focuses on racing, whereas People for Bikes is thinking about advocacy and um, just more practical applications of the bike. But for us as an organization, we have to maintain discipline, and that discipline is let's stay focused on racing. Because People for Bikes doesn't care about racing, really, very few other nonprofits in the US care about racing. Everybody looks to us. To 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 create opportunities for racing and make the racing ecosystem as positive as possible.
1: I like it. I like it. Um, I gotta I, I, I gotta go back to the Olympics in um, coming up in twenty twenty eight. What do you think will be the biggest challenge for us as a nation to come off of you know the the last Olympics in in Tokyo, underperforming? to getting to that, that level of medals that you're expecting, that 10 to 12 medal range. Um, what, are, what are the biggest challenges that we're gonna to have to face between, between now and then?
0: It's money. It's just raising money. It's all that it's about, right? What we need to do is we need to run more athlete development and talent identification camps. We need to run more U23 junior international race programs. We need to run more U23 and junior national team programs. We need to have an expanded European resident program. We need more national team camps. We need better, or not better, but we need more world-class coaches. Um, And then there's a lot of stuff. Track is such a funky sport, which I love by the way, but there's a lot of track specific stuff. The majority of the medals are in track, right? 55 to 60% of the available medals are in track. So uh, not many people really pay attention, but you really have to invest in track because that's where a lot of your medals are going to come from. We have to do all of these things. And right now we're doing all of those things at a level that is woefully insufficient. And the reason they're woefully insufficient is because we don't have the money to, to pay for them. So the number one thing we need to do is raise money. Our our elite athletic budget in 2022 is about five and a half million dollars. By comparison, like Team GB, because it's, all, it's paid for by taxpayer dollars in the UK, I think their budget is four times the size of ours, is 20 million, 22 million dollars, something like this. We had COVID, USA cycling, we basically furloughed or or terminated 75% of our workforce. COVID hit Team GB, it's just like another day at the office. We're wearing masks, but except for that, everything's the same because the taxpayer dollars keep keep rolling in. You know, our we we absolutely got waylaid. So we are starting more or less from scratch. Our budget this year is five and a half million dollars. We project our budget for 2028 will need to be in the range of 10 to 10 and dollars. It's ramping up year over year over year over year, so we're going to have to raise. I mean, you can do that. We can do the math, but we're going to, you know, we're going to have to raise 50, 60 million dollars to get to where we want to get, and um, that's that's there's nothing guaranteed about that. So we've got the raw talent, Jim Miller, who runs our elite athletic program. I would jump in a foxhole with that guy seven days a week. He is so brilliant, such an inspiring leader. Um, So we've got the the coaching and the management capability. We've got the raw talent. Um, We just need to raise the money to give these athletes what they need to to develop.
1: Okay. So if there is someone listening who wants to help, (laughs) what can they do?
0: Um, You know, just, you know, it's it's, uh, the USA Cycling Foundation is our nonprofit and that's who you would donate to. Just Google USA Cycling Foundation and it's pretty easy to give money there. If you'd like to learn more, there's, there's a, lot that we, a lot of information that we can provide about how we identify, right? It's kind of a three-part process. It's identification, it's development, and then once kids really start to hit a high levels, how do we support them? And all the work we do fits into one of those three buckets. And if you've got a passion for mountain biking, a passion for women's cycling, whatever it might be, you know, we can direct money where, where major donors want us to direct it. But that is, um, it's just like any business. You know, you have to have the capital to, to invest. And that's where we are.
2: righty, I have an easier question for you. <laughs> Olympics at uh, 2028. 20, Does the road race circuit already take shape in your mind? You know where you want to have it, how hard you want to have it, and will there be a brand new beautiful track Or you do renovating on an existing bike track
0: yeah so i don't i don't know um so the local organized the organizing committee for la28 is the one that um will determine what the the course is and i I have not heard anything about that i um in terms of the velodrome the velo sports center in carson is excellent and i i don't i i mean it's they've held world cup races there they have world championships there it seems like a very suitable facility for the Olympics. You know Whether there's a plan for another velodrome, I, I don't know. Um, you know. As the national governing body, we're not, we're not really part of those conversations. I think what I would love to see, I've had some joking conversations, but you know, I, I would love to see a, a mountain bike course that goes right beneath the Hollywood sign though. If we could do that, that would be pretty amazing. That would be my one wish, if we could have one wish as far as what the courses look like.
2: You got double thumbs up from my side. Yeah. How spectacular would that be? Imagine the helicopter shot, you know, yeah. these athletes racing through the Hollywood letters. That would be just yeah. eye-catching, <laughs> iconic. Yeah. Awesome.
0: That's a brilliant idea. I would mean, be amazing. Well,
1: Brendan, I got to thank you for your time. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Let's, let's get out there. Let's fund this project let's get these kids the resources that they need to chase their dreams i mean the olympics in 1984 that's where it started for me and now it's back and we got to make it just as good as it was back in in los angeles but thank you so much for your time and uh really just wish you all the best with usa cycling moving forward and uh let's go get those olympic medals awesome
0: thanks to both of you appreciate it talk to you soon
1: well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Brendan for being our guest.
2: Thanks a million for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends.
1: The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Moza.
2: Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.